All righty. Well, come on back and have a seat. And uh, we're going to be uh, traveling uh, in 2 Corinthians today. 2 Corinthians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and John Kennedy or Jared or somebody will get you a Bible. Raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? Okay. So just assuming that everybody that's looking on their phones right now is in their Bible, I, I got you. Okay. <laughs> so 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, that's where we've been uh, going and traveling, and we are in the second book that's been preserved by Paul to the Corinthians. There were more, but these two made it in the canon, and uh, Paul, in his first letter, is sort of correcting the church. And going through a number of items that the church has asked him about. And so it's a rebuking letter. And then in the second letter, 2 Corinthians, you get something different. You get sort of Paul's presentation or representation or appropriate Defense, in a sense, although defense might not be the right word, of his ministry because it was being called into question by people. One of the things that happened is that he had said he wanted to make it back to Corinth at a certain time, and he didn't go at that time because the Holy Spirit had something else for him. And so some said, well, wait, wait a second, you're not a man of your word. In other words, he was misunderstood. Anybody here ever been misunderstood as a Christian? And there are also some people who sort of always follow Paul around, and I'm not sure I've mentioned this here recently, but there are always people that sort of followed Paul around, and these people were ones who said, yeah, the doctrine of grace is wonderful. This thing that you talk about, Paul, grace, it's wonderful, but, and that's the point, there's always a but. Because grace is sort of scandalous. It hits us in our hearts and our minds in a way that oftentimes we look across the aisle and said, Lord, you give grace to that person? (laughs) And, but you're forgetting about you or me or our own sins. And so, so grace sort of is scandalous, I mean, that the Lord would do it all. And in this letter, in other words, the Lord would do everything that uh, is necessary for us to be reunited or reconciled to him, that he would make the first move. And remember, we talked about that last week. Reconciliation in the world happens or begins to happen When the offending party, somebody who's made an offense, comes and says, oh, I was wrong, ball goes into your court now, will you forgive me? 
But that's not the reconciliation of God. The reconciliation of God is the offended party, God, makes the first move towards reconciliation when he sends his son Jesus. And that's the point. That's grace. And it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does as he opens this letter, and he's sort of giving a defense of his ministry to the people who are saying he's not a man of his word, to the people who are coming uh, along or, or, or behind him and saying, grace, yes, but you need to do something else, like worship on this certain day or get circumcised or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and Paul then opens up in this burst of praise that sort of is a defense of his ministry, but you see here as he's gone through kind of the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, all through chapter 7, he, he's giving this defense and it's like this burst of praise, but what's contained in it is grace, how grace looks, what grace is, how a person lives by grace. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says an interesting thing when he's talking to pastors who are preaching Romans, which spells out grace. He says, unless everybody in your congregation is uncomfortable, you've not preached Romans right. In other words, the people over here who are very legalistic need to be feel really uncomfortable. And the people on this side of the aisle who are sort of, you know, the free-spirited, oh, we could do anything we want, licentious, lean towards, you know, having license to do everything, they should feel uncomfortable too because grace strikes at both their hearts. And that's what's happening here. He opens up in this burst of praise, saying that our lives are open letters to the world. Now that's terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> but not only is it terrifying, it's a privilege, it's an honor, uh, uh, it's a humble thing that you recognize your life has purpose when you see that your life's an open letter. And what's an open letter doing? It's displaying the grace of God to a world that knows nothing about grace. And he goes through the gloriousness of the new covenant there in chapter 3. He goes through and he tells us. And, and then he talks about how Christ's gospel is a light unto the world and that we're to be the light. And he goes through things like assurance of the resurrection and the judgment seat of Christ. And we talked about that last week. For me, just for me, 2 Corinthians 5 has made such a profound impact in my life. In every way, that chapter impacts all that we do in life. And one of the things it talks about is the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat that all Christians are going to go to, not for salvation, but for what they did with their life with the things that God gave them, the stewardship of their life, the thoughts and motives of their life. Whoa, wait a minute, that makes life worth living. I mean, 
you understand when you read 2 Corinthians 5 and understand it and begin to grow in it and the Lord starts placing it on your heart, do you know what the Lord does for you here through this amongst a million things? But one great thing he does is he shows you what is the purpose of your life. You, Christians don't need to go to Sedona, Arizona and look at crystals and find themselves. They don't need to move out west and find who I am. You don't need that because here, the Lord, Jesus Christ, is who you are. And it, through his word, he tells you ex- explicitly what is the purpose of your life. It's to glorify God. And that everything you do, including your motives, think about that. Not just what you do, but your motives behind what you do are all going to be weighed. And for some, that seems scary, but no, not scary, because in that process, the, the stuff that didn't matter burned away, but the stuff that, like love, joy, forgiveness, long-suffering, all of that's going to last into eternity. You're going to get crowns. Some people teach not to aspire for crowns. I think, no, aspire for crowns. Why? Because when you get to heaven, it's not so you'll brag, it's so you'll worship him with your crowns. You're not going to be up there going, I got more than you, you got more than me. That's not even going to enter your mind. You're going to be laying them at the feet of Jesus. Man, what a powerful chapter. And when we left, we went through all of reconciliation. But the final thing that Paul says and we need to know as we move on and out from here is that you and I and we, now then, we're ambassadors for Christ. Now let's just think about what an ambassador is. Ambassadors are, have been really busy over the last year. Why? Because they've been getting ready for the Olympics and uh, you know, there's things that are happening in the Ukraine, and there's things that are happening in China, and so, uh, and, and other places. We just saw this week something really happened in Syria, in the Middle East. And so ambassadors play an important role in the government of the United States. But guess what ambassadors don't do? Ambassadors don't have their own agenda. Ambassadors have the agenda of those who are in charge. And in this case, we're ambassadors for Christ. (laughs) See, if you don't know what your life's all about, he just told you. (laughs) If you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, you're counting on his finished work at the cross and his resurrection. He tells you who you are. You're an ambassador for Christ. So no matter what you do tomorrow morning... Mondays, no matter. You see, if you're an ambassador in Christ, how social media could get you in such trouble. You don't go on there and say, I hate Mondays. (laughs) You just couldn't do that. Not as an ambassador of Christ. Christ is saying, get out there on Monday and share his love and light. And Tuesday and Wednesday, you'd never put up, I hate Mondays, or complain about your job. Or scorch somebody. On social media. You wouldn't do that. You're an ambassador for the Lord. It it impacts everything we do as ambassadors. And the funny part about this is, watch this. In verse 1 of chapter 6, 
He then says something almost too astounding to fathom. He says, we then, as workers together, watch this, with him. Yes, he's our Lord and Savior. We're not his equals, and yet somehow, for some reason, do you catch this? As an ambassador, you work with Christ, your co-laborers in a sense. Now, he does the work of saving and all that, but he sends you out to share his love and light so that you don't have to get frustrated. You know that family member that won't listen or that friend you keep encouraging You don't have to be uh, 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 upset in your own self because you didn't make any headway. Remember, you're rowing in that person's life. You're sharing in that person's life with the Lord. And he knows what he's doing. So you're an ambassador. You, You don't have your own agenda. You speak the words of the ones who sent you. And in this case, the one who sent you, God himself through Jesus, and he didn't just pat you on the head and say, I want you to do a great job. He gives you the Holy Spirit to go with you. He actually lives inside of you. It's amazing. An ambassador doesn't do anything to embarrass the one who sent them. You see it? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Who here has made some mistakes this month? Yeah. You've committed some sins even. Do you know what, though? The Lord says, but if you confess those sins, I'm faithful and just, he says, to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then watch, you just move forward in the Lord. You just admit it. You come clean. So then here it comes. Some certain marks of the ministry, Paul goes on. He says, we then, as workers together, can you believe that? I mean, just I can't believe it. Workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. By the way, what does in vain mean? It means empty in an empty way. Don't receive the grace of God in an empty way. Of course, if you're, oh, this is a plea to those who've never surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. Of course it is. Here's the gospel, Paul is saying. Don't re- the gospel is the gospel of grace. Paul's saying to an unbeliever, don't receive it in an empty way. Receive it. For those who have never surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, he's saying, he comes down here. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Now is the acceptable time. Don't wait. But I want you to see something here. He's not just talking about salvation here, about receiving the grace of God in vain. Because who's he writing to? A church. Oh, how about that one? So you have to know that there's grace for justification or salvation to be be declared not guilty. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But there's also grace daily, all day long, supplied by the Lord for sanctification, growing in Christ-likeness. Everybody tracking with me? And all you have to do is go to Ephesians 2.10. Do it with me. For by grace, you all know this verse, but watch. 
I want you to know this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved. What's grace? God giving you all the resources in order to be saved. And you place your trust in God's provisions, or provision, Jesus Christ, you get saved. Saved from what? Eternal damnation. You have been saved through faith, and it's so great, it's not of yourselves. Praise the Lord, it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. But what must you do with a gift in order for it to be yours? You have to receive it or take it. You can't just say, oh yeah, I see that doctrine out there. Great, I'll think about it. No, you receive it into your life. You receive and count on it and trust in it. The finished work of Christ and his re- or Jesus at the cross and his resurrection, that's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Man, I can't get to heaven by my works because I would boast, trust me. I'd be the first one in line to boast. I went to more Bible studies than you. I taught more times this year than you did. That's how I, my flesh would love to say it, but it's not even about that. It's about what Jesus accomplished. If that's you, see, you've been saved. And then, look at this, watch. But grace, though, helps to write your story. For we are his workmanship, that's poem, you're his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In the greatest chapter, or maybe one of the most famous verses, excuse me, not chapters, verses on grace, it combines justification, salvation, and sanctification, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where he places you in good works. So good works don't save anybody, but you're saved, watch this, unto good works, Big difference. So now that you, you never say, well, I have to go down there and do that, you say, I get to do everything the Lord supplies or puts in front of me. Amazing, right? Okay, why did I go through all of that? Because people are objecting in this world because I'm convinced we don't teach grace right. Grace is no wimpy doctrine for you to rely upon to excuse you for sinning. That's what we use the word grace for. Just read Titus. Titus says that grace is a training uh, school. It trains you. It teaches you to... uh, Get away from being drunk, and I don't know, you know, I'm not saying just drinking, but, you know, drunk with the world, too, and is to be sober and vigilant and moving on in Christ-likeness. That's what grace is for. Grace doesn't coddle you and say, it's okay, I know you stabbed somebody in the leg, Tommy, oh, but I know you were just tired. (laughs) That's just what parents say about their good little boy or good little girl. That's not grace. Grace is a training grace. Is there mercy? Of course there is. But the Lord is doing something, and here, watch, he says, we then, as workers together, also plead with you. 
That word in the Greek or that phrase in the Greek, plead, is like the ultimate pleading, begging. Plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. When do we receive the grace of God in vain as Christians? Remember, non-Christians can reject the Lord. That's receiving the grace of God in vain for non-Christians. What do, how do we receive the grace of God in vain for Christians? Here it is, very simple. And it applies in a lot of ways, and man, I'm guilty of it. When we don't rely upon his provision to live life according to all that he has for us. You get it? He has the resource and strength available for you, resurrection power, but what happens is, as you get in a stress or a trial or a temptation, and you live life, I live life according to my own resources and ability, and that's where I run into lots of trouble. You get it? When do we not, or when do we receive the grace of God in vain? It's when we don't rely upon his resources and ability to live our life. And in fact, in Romans, he says sometimes Christians start to think about this thing this, that the Lord has arranged, grace, the grace of God. And they say, they always say this, almost every Bible study when you start to teach this, here's the question, it's coming, you know it's coming. You can see the, see the word, uh, wheels turning, especially when you teach Romans 6, 7, 8, right in there. They, people, and, and maybe myself too, they start to say, oh, wow, what can I do and get away with? Because of grace. And Paul says, doesn't he? Just read it. Go back and read 6, 7, and 8. Everybody go back this week, read 6, 7, and 8. Paul says that's sheer stupidity. A new creation would never treat the grace of God like that. We wouldn't trample God's grace that way. You get it? See, why I'm harping on this issue is people are going to say, well, my goodness, the pastor up there today is teaching legalism. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just teaching the Bible. And here's the insidious part about this. There's several places in the United States in Christendom that are not going to tell you about what we're about ready to tell you. They want you to come and put money in the back in great big numbers and have great clubs and walk around drinking lattes and listen to your CDs and Instagram it and do all this fancy stuff. And people aren't telling the truth. And that's this. That we are not to receive the grace of God in vain, in an empty way. And he says this. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Now, this is from Isaiah chapter 49. And to make a long story, hopefully short, that whole section of Isaiah is talking about things like this. The Babylonian exile or the exile. And that... Israel, the people of God, are going to be judged and punished. But that there's coming a day when they'll return to their land, and then the Messiah is going to come. I'm paraphrasing now. And then he says, in an ex and it's like this, this verse is like the crescendo of that chapter, in an, or 
several chapters, but in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I'm going to save you out of Babylon, but looking more forward than that, I'm going to really save you when the Messiah comes. That's Isaiah 49. And for people who knew the Jewish scriptures at this time, hearing that from Paul, they would go, whoa, wait a second. They would know what he's talking about, that the grace of God has come, Messiah has come, and now is the acceptable time. Now is the time where we live in this age of grace. But folks, there's also coming a time when Jesus comes back to the earth to rule and reign in judgment. That's for us in the future. And so the point is, we live in this time, and it's urgent that we don't receive the grace of God in vain. That's the point of that. You get it? So just even thinking on that, it does a sort of a couple things for me. Does it for you? The first thing it does for me is say, my goodness, <laughs> I know I got these busy things to do. But man, I want to pray for and share with as many people as I can pray or, or, or share with and pray for. I want, to, I want to lay it all out. I want to share the gospel until Jesus comes back or until I die, right? Doesn't that, doesn't that, when you understand what he's talking about, doesn't that one thing that does for you? And then the other thing it does for me is to not walk according to my own flesh, which I tend to do very quickly, but to learn to walk in the Spirit and count on His resource and ability so that I'm not receiving the grace of God in vain and that the Lord can do as much as He can through my little, humble little life. That's what it does for me. And hopefully it does it for you. And He says, behold, in other words, pay attention here. Behold of this. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The day of salvation for those who don't know Christ. And also as you live out this salvation with fear and trembling, as you rely more and more upon his resource and ability. Isn't that beautiful? Now is the time. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? Like for instance, I mean maybe somebody in here, the Lord said, you know, I want you to start a Bible study down at work. I want you to, I want to, Get your music out that I've written, but I'm a little worried about that. Or, um, I don't know, there's uh, some friend that I need to repair a relationship with. Do you understand what the Lord's saying right here? Don't wait. Do it now. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now, he is concerned. He's not concerned in an inappropriate way. You know how some people are so concerned about other people's opinion that they might not move here or might not do that? That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is so into the gospel getting into people's lives or that people grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ that he is even willing to look at his own life and his own ministry team's life and say, listen, we don't want to give any offense or a stumbling block to them receiving the grace of God. It's not an inappropriate thing where he's concerned about their 
you know, uh, uh, their you know, opinions of him. He doesn't idolize man or anything. But remember what Paul was willing to do. Paul was willing to forego any salary from the churches. Remember that? It wasn't that it was a bad thing. He just didn't want to give any offense. Remember, he didn't want people to stumble over how much he made. So guess what Paul did? Paul said, okay, I'll keep my tent-making job. Can you imagine that? First of all, this was one of the most well-educated, powerful Jewish men of the times. He was plugged into the religious community. He could go to the best places and do the nicest things. And when the Lord got a hold of his life, all of that came out from under him. And he said, oh, wow, the greatest thing in life is none of this. It's just knowing Christ. And knowing Christ, I know that he wants me to share the gospel and to build churches and to spread this all around the world. So I don't want to give any offense, including I won't take a salary. To any of the churches that I serve, I'll just keep making tents. I'm going to give no offense. I don't want anyone to stumble. If there's something I'm at liberty to do, like eating meat out of the temple areas, but it stumbles somebody in the church, guess what? I won't do it. He didn't walk across the aisle and say, you're dumb for believing that. How could you even think There's no such thing as a God. So this isn't meat given to an idol. This is nothing. He didn't go across the aisle and criticize them. Boy, that's a word for us. He just didn't do it so that he could focus on genuinely, authentically, sincerely loving people, loving them and understanding them and ministering to them so that he could speak into their lives. He gave no offense in that way. And yet... Jesus tells us that the gospel itself is very offensive. So offensive that it sometimes, back then especially, but sometimes even today, will split families. So Paul knew through Christ that there was going to be some offense because people were going to hate the message in some ways. In fact, they would be the aroma of death to some people, aroma of Christ to others. Yet, as much as it was up to Paul and his team, give no offense. Wow. Is that different than today? That our ministry may not be blamed, end of verse 3, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And now, Paul does something so interesting here, so glorious in a set of nines, or three nines here. I mean, three, nine things that he sort of talks about three times. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. He's just saying to the Corinthians, he's not bragging in the weird sense or the inappropriate sense. He's just saying, look at this. And this is grace. He's saying this as you move through this. Watch. We've been talking about grace. And if you have surrendered your life to Christ and the Lord has gripped your heart, then your life of grace 
is going to be on display for all the world to see in these areas. You're like, great. What do I get? Set up with a new job, a great job, and bonuses, and cars, and suits, and watches. Oh, I don't see any of that. He says, in all things, we commend ourselves, watch this, as ministers, as servants of God. We're servants of God. We're serving him. He's not serving us. We're serving him, and we know it. He's done so much for us, we're just going to give our whole lives back to him. Anything he asks us, that's what we'll do, Paul says. See, that's grace, and you could go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. You just, what's your reasonable service, Romans 12 says, just to sacrifice your whole life back to him. Your, your whole life is a sacrifice. It's not just what you put in that box. That's part of it. It's your whole life. It's your thought life. It's your work life. It's your play life. It's your vacations. It's your doing the dishes. It's mowing the yard. It's everything. It's interacting with people. Bless you. It's everything. It's all of your life. That's, that's what you are. You're ministers of God. You're serving him in every way with all of your life. That's it. Watch this. And the first thing he says, <laughs> is this incredible, in the school of grace, <laughs> make sure you get your MDiv to be a minister. No, he says this. Your relationship with the Lord, how he's gripped your heart, how you understand grace, is going to, oh man, I don't even want to say this one, is going to be displayed to the world, to everybody to see, through the patience you show. Mm. All of my flesh just, oof. I don't like patience. I don't think I'd pick that if I was writing. Thank goodness I am not writing. And the Lord says, you have this unbelievable opportunity when everybody else around you is panicking, hmm, like the last two years, that the grace of God will be on display as ministers of God in much patience. Not a little patience, much patience, that your life is going to show to the world how you've walked with the Lord and talked with the Lord, just a closer walk with him, the closeness that you, you're developing, the grace that's coming into your life is going to be shown in much patience. Oh, my. Lord, I need you. Don't you need the Lord? Do you see how much you need the Lord, how much I need the Lord? Who here is patient? Raise your hand if you think you're patient. In much patience, Christians when the world around you is not patient, panicking, when they're in tribulations, when there's tribulations, when there's rough things happening, when, when there's trials, there's hard things coming your way, the world looks at these things and says, my goodness, how could you be patient in tribulation? Well, you know the verse, that God's working all things out for the good, all things out for those who love him, are called according to this purpose, walking in the Spirit, he's working all things out for good. Even all the terrible situations that you think about, he's 
He's working all those things out in much patience, in tribulation, in needs. Anybody here have a need? Paul did. In distresses. You you ever had that situation in your life where you feel like the circumstance of life is like a boa constrictor and it's slowly just sort of coming around your life and getting tighter and tighter and tighter and you don't know what to do or don't know where to turn and you can't wiggle out of it and you try to wiggle out of it but it won't let you out of it and it just it's on your mind and you're awake at night and all of that sort of thing. Paul says in the middle of that, watch, your life is on display to uh, show the grace of God to the world. Hmm. Don't waste grace, he says, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. Now he sort of shifts. What could other people do to you? In stripes. He was beaten, whipped. His back was striped. That's what he's talking about. I dare say that many of us here, or most of us here, have never gone or had that happen to them. In imprisonments. Has anybody been imprisoned for their faith? No, probably not. In tumults, that means riots. Can you imagine when Paul was bringing the message, if you read the book of Acts, riots followed him. Mobs. My goodness, if somebody interviews you on TV and you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're mobbed. (laughs) In tumults, in labors. He worked hard for these things. In sleeplessness, whether that be because you were working as unto the Lord or because you were having trouble sleeping, whatever. In fastings, that probably doesn't mean the spiritual discipline fasting. It probably means he didn't have enough to eat. In all of that, he, watch, was displaying the grace of God to the world. And so are you, and so am I. And you say to yourself, do you say to yourself, I know what I say to myself right here, oh boy, oh man, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I don't know if I should call them mistakes, probably should just come out and say what they are. I've sinned a lot in this area. I have trampled the grace of God. I have received the grace of God in vain. And maybe it's because I didn't keep reading because he shifts a little bit and he says, well, wait a minute. Here's the first thing. Nobody wants to hear this. Do you see what Paul said a graceful person does? They seek as much as they can purity. Now, this is when people say, "Uh uh-oh, you're getting into legalistic things. I'm not getting into anything legalistic. This is Paul right here saying what a life of grace is full of. And the first thing he says, as you are called out into the world, is be pure. And folks, I mean, don't you go back. What's that movie, Kirk Cameron, and he's looking at the bad stuff on his computer, and he wants to reconcile with his wife. And he doesn't say to his computer, okay, I'll put a governor on that. Or, you know, he doesn't say, uh, I'll put a thing. You know what he does? It's, it's the greatest picture. He goes out to the trash heap, he throws it in the trash, and he smashes it with a sledgehammer. 
or, or whatever the Lord is saying to you in purity. What are you looking at? What are you listening to? What are you watching? And you're going, oh my gosh, legalism. It's not legalism. This is what a life of grace is. You're so gripped by the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, your whole life is to be a sacrifice unto him because he's done so much, you're doing what he's asked. And here, the most grace-filled person that we read about, or one of them, other than Jesus, says, this is how we do it, by purity. By pursuing holiness. Pursuing holiness and being pure is not incompatible with grace. It goes hand in glove. I want you to see that. I have several quotes here. I won't do them because I'm getting behind. But this is just normal Orthodox Christianity, but nobody wants to tell you that. By purity, by knowledge. How do you gain knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what do you do? You take in his word, the truth. And you always go back to what you know. If you can't figure something out in life, you know what I always say? I don't know. It just helped me. Well, what do you know about God already? And God's never going to go against himself. And so you begin to know him. This is what Paul did as he lived a life of grace on display in all these tough times. They sought out purity and they sought out the knowledge of the word and then the one I don't like either. And they suffered long with people. So what's your stance on vaccines? Or masks? or Republicans, or Democrats. It don't matter, folks. You might think it matters, but here he says that you're to suffer long with everybody. As you minister to people, there are going to be a lot of people that irritate you in your flesh. That's what he's saying here by using the word long-suffering. You're going to disagree with them. You're going to hate what they believe, and he says, suffer long with them. Keep on going on with them. That's how he lived a life of grace. Oh, how I wish we would get this message. By long suffering. This is how he did it. (laughs) Then by kindness. Oh, my This is such the perfect two years to teach these chapters. You hardly even have to say anything. You're to be the kindest people in the world. I'm to be the kindest person in the world. Kind. Meaning you're seeking out the other and you're loving them and thinking on them and you, you don't have to agree with everything they are or say or anything like that, but you're kind to them. You don't avoid them. You take them to lunch. You get to know their story. You don't validate everything, but you love them and you're kind. And thank goodness, 
He doesn't just leave it there. You say, well, how do I muster up kindness and long-suffering and all that? And he just tells you, and he says, I know. He, you know, he gets to this part, and he's probably thinking, or maybe he's not. At least I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And then he says, the kicker, and he says, but listen, here's what we'll do. You, you have the Holy Spirit, God himself living in you, who cares about every person on earth whether they look like you or talk like you or believe like you or don't believe like you, he loves them and wants them to come a saving knowledge of him. He says, and I'm going to put you in these situations and you're going to display your grace to the world, but you got the Holy Spirit with you. And then love people and don't love them insincerely. Pray for this. Pray that you would love people sincerely. Don't make them a notch on your evangelical sharing the gospel belt. Do I want you to share the gospel? Of course. Should we share the gospel? Yes. But while you're doing it, listen and love them. I mean sincerely love them. Not just, okay, I shared the four spiritual laws with you. Have a nice life. I'm on to the next one. I'm on to the next one. I'm on to the next one. That's good in a sense, except for love people sincerely. Even the ones who hate you, Jesus said. Do it. And do, do all of this by the word of truth, but by the power of God. Who here needs God's power? Man, when you read this, yes. By the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Isn't that fascinating? In other words, you are in right standing with God by the blood of Christ. Now do the right things offensively, and defensively. Here's the spear in the right hand. Here's the shield in the left. That's generally what they would do unless you were left-handed and then you were sort of in trouble. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you would put the offensive weapon in the right hand, defensive weapon in the left hand, and you'd move about life with, watch, with spiritual weapons, all fueled by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And here are some of them that I don't think we consider sometimes that we sincerely love people, that we give them the word of truth, that we suffer long with them. That, these are all weapons that people can't fight back against. How can you fight back against loving somebody sincerely? By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich as having nothing, and you possessing all things. One of the things that really puzzled me when I started to examine the claims of Christ, and people would share things with me, and I started to read the Bible, was the paradox is paradoxes a word? But anyway, the plural of paradox that were found in the Bible. Like, for instance, when I first examined the claims of Christ, I'm wondering, how in the world do you gain life if you lose life? How can you be great? I wasn't taught this growing up, folks. <laughs> if you become a servant, how could you be great then? How could Jesus be 
The man of sorrows, yet anointed with the oil of gladness. How does that work? It doesn't make sense to me, I thought. But Paul here spells out what's going to happen. Your whole life is going to be a paradox. In other words, the world's going to think things about you that aren't true. And you're going to need to navigate life based on the approval and acceptance of the Lord and not people. Because what they're going to say as you live this life, look, think of Paul. I gave up everything. Great career, great uh, status. And the people of the time, especially in Corinth, would say, what a dishonorable life. (laughs) What? No, you're supposed to build your kingdom and be great, but a life of grace, it says, oh, no, I'm not focused on honor from the world. I just want to honor the Lord. So that those things sort of don't bother you anymore by honor and by dishonor, by evil report and good report. Do you know what this means? He's saying slander right there. People are going to talk about you. If you live a life of grace, people are going to talk about you. In other words, he's saying, you better get braced for it. It's going to happen. But the Lord speaks over you with kindness. So you're going to get a slanderous report from people in the world, but the Lord's going to say who you really are, his child. He sings over you. So what are you deriving your strength and resource from? How people feel about you or how the Lord feels about you? That's what he's saying right here. A life of grace. Many people are going to say, you're a deceiver. You're in a cult. Especially when you talk about grace and you teach it in the appropriate way. You're a deceiver, and yet it's true. And you hold on to the truth no matter what. As unknown and yet (laughs) well-known. In other words, people are like, Paul, Seriously, Paul, you'd give up all this to travel around the world, to live in the muck and the mire of life, be in prison, beaten, all these sorts of things. Nobody even knows you anymore. What are you doing? And he says, I'm known by the one, God himself. Remember what was his most prized thing, that he would come to know Jesus in a more intimate way. That's the one thing he wanted from life. As dying... And behold, we live. As we die to ourself, we actually live. We talked about that a minute ago. As chastened and yet not killed. Yes, we're going to be uh, uh, chastened by the Lord. We're his kids, but it doesn't kill us. Nothing could kill us. Even if they killed this tent, it doesn't kill us. We go to be with the Lord. Yet making many rich is having nothing. So we're going to be people who aren't focused on our riches and power, but our whole life is devoted to making others rich in the Lord. It's a life of paradox, having nothing and yet possessing all things. In fact, 2 Peter 1.3 says this. Don't ever forget this verse. Don't forget it. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Does that cover it all? We have everything in Christ for life and godliness Just so beautiful. Now, he opens up his heart. You can see it. He goes, oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. See, that's what loving people do. (laughs) People who really love just open their heart up wide. You say, oh, shoot, I hate doing that. I get burnt. 
I want to be closed so I never get hurt. Well, see, that's the beauty of love. We open up our hearts. We speak openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but your own affections restrict you. We've opened up our own heart. We've given our whole lives to share the gospel with you, Paul says. And you think, oh, you know, what is he doing? What is he not doing? And the real problem is your affections are placed someone else, somewhere else. You don't have your affections set on Christ. If you had your affections just on Christ, everything would be good. In fact, he's, as we referred in Romans 12 too, he's done everything, so I give everything back to him. An open heart asks for an open heart back. That's love. That's why marriage is so scary. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But sort of I'm not kidding because what do you do? You open up your heart and you say, okay, here you go. You have this. And the other one says, okay, here you go. You have this. And you're entrusting somebody with your heart. And they're not perfect and you're not perfect. And for some, that's really scary. But see, here's the point. That's love. And he's saying it here. It's love. And so I've done this, but your affections, it's not our fault. You've not responded back to the Lord with a single-minded heart, an open heart. You've sort of been restricted. Why is he saying that? Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open. You see, love asks for a response. Love always asks for a response. Do you know that? And he's interested in the Corinthians not receiving the grace of God in vain to give their whole life, not just some of their life. So don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, part of a graceful life is being separated from the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world, the Bible tells us. Don't love the world and those, in it, or those things in it. No. We're to not be, uh, or do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, what does that mean? Because the Bible doesn't call us to go live in our Christian cocoon. No way. Jesus never did that. What he's saying is don't make permanent relationships with unbelievers. You get that? Watch out for partnerships that yoke you together because you're to be yoked to who? All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. You put your yoke upon me. We'll yoke up together, Jesus says. Just yoke up to me. A yoke makes you permanent. It lasts for a long time. It's rigid and steady. So don't yoke up with unbelievers. Separate uh, from that. But for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Satan or the devil? Used as it says here, Belial. That means worthlessness, by the way. And the, the enemy of our souls is referred to several times in the Old Testament as this name. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. You 
are the temple of the living God. I want you to think about this. What was the temple of the living God's purpose back in the Old Testament? It was to be a place that people could come and worship God there. And it was a place where people could learn about God. I mean, all the things, the tents and the skins and the roof and the door and the laver and the the iron and the gold or whatever, not the iron, the gold and the bronze, everything was pointing towards God's plan of salvation. It was a place where you came to learn about God, where you came to worship God, where you came to be refreshed spiritually. And God says, there's no agreement between God with idols. God exclusively asks for your love. He doesn't want you to have a dual love for him and your job. Are you to love your job? Sure. But not in the way, you know what I mean? Him and your money. Ooh. Him and your retirement package. Him and your home. Him and your car. He wants all of those to be underneath. And he's saying what agreement it is because you're the temple of not just God, but the living God. In other words, all that we've been talking about here, Paul says, you're going to show and be a place where God is going to come, or excuse me, people are going to come and learn about God. Oh, boy. Man, do I need the Lord. Because it says here, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And you could look down to 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 2 to show that we are the temple of the living God. And I'm wondering, right? I'm wondering for myself, when people come to me, do they learn of God and the things of God? And are they refreshed, or are they always beaten down? Am I depending upon my own strength to do this life, or am I depending upon the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit? Am I depending on the Lord to live his life in and through me so that I could share with the people all about him? And that it's not about me. I don't make my life about me, but I make it all about him. That's the temple. That's what you are. That's what we do living in grace by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, watch this. He says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I'll receive you. And I'll be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. You could look at John 1.12 right there. Says the Lord Almighty. You see, I just want you to see something before you go. And this isn't legalism. This is just normal Christianity. When you're gripped by the grace of God, the Lord calls you out to be separate and different. Not to blend in. Not to be like the world. Just (laughs) 
You want to be like the world? Go argue over everything. Make sure your point is always made and heard. Demand your rights. Tell them how you feel. Make sure everybody believes exactly what you believe about every issue of life. That's what the world does. People that live according to grace come out separately and their whole life is gripped by his grace and they just want to serve and point people to Jesus and teach people about God. And oftentimes they're having a lot of trouble doing that when all they can do is argue over social media or over whatever. Be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. And I want you to see this. This brings you close to the heart of God. I'll receive you. This is just what people do who are new creations. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. We're new creations, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Don't touch what is unclean, and I'll receive you. You're close to his heart, and I'll be your dad. And you'll be my sons and daughters. It won't be just this theological thing that you read about in books. The reality is, you're my dad, and I'm your son, or I'm your daughter, and I'll re relate to you in that way. Father, thank you for all the provisions and all you've done, says the Lord Almighty. And I just want to read you this. Therefore... Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfect, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you're feeling, because I know I'm going to get it. <laughs> if you're feeling, wow, man, I just want to, I want to pick me up sermon. This is a pick-me-up sermon. This isn't legalism. This is a life of grace. When you're gripped by the love of God and His grace, all you want to do is return your life back to His, back to Him. And He says, come out from the world so that I can show people in the middle of distress, persecution, trial, patience, stripes, terrible circumstances, COVID. I want to show everybody what a trophy of grace is. You. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We come here this morning and we're thankful and grateful, humbled by your love and mercy and grace. Lord, help us to learn really what grace is, not what is not in the Bible but that the grace of God is a purifying doctrine in the best way, in a good way. Lord, we're thankful that you provided the way back. But for those of us who have come back now by the blood of your Son, help us to walk and grow in this way. Help us to be patient and long-suffering by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.